redefining narratives and shifting perspectives. This is Story Noir. All right, y'all, welcome back to the second episode of the Story Noir podcast. As you know, I'm Opal, and I am joined here by Miss Shelby Barlow. She describes herself as a Mississippi girl based in Miami, but she is super dynamic. I think that title already says um, a lot for itself. So Shelby, <laughs> if you want to uh, introduce yourself in earnest, who are we chatting with today? Yeah, sure. Thanks for that little intro. Very funny. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, you're right. So yeah, I'm Shelby. I'm 26 years old. I'm currently based in Miami, but I was born and raised in Mississippi. I went to school in Philadelphia. I lived in San Francisco for a few years after that. And then I moved to Miami. So I'm kind of a rolling stone. Um, I work in tech and I'm also a content creator like Opal. And I'm super excited to be here. So thanks for having me. Yes, absolutely. And so Shelby, I found your content because TikTok, as we know, when they say the for you page, it's for you. And so here it was, this amazing Black woman working in tech, kind of the first of her kind, which I like to describe myself as. And so I think I cold reached out to you via DM like, hey, I'm Opal, you know, do you want to be friends? And so uh, kind of like on the schoolyard of like, hey, you're kind of like me, like, let's let's be besties, let's be friends. And so I think we connected late last year, kind of about our own respective journeys, which was why I was like, oh, yes, we got to be friends. And so we've stayed in touch um, via Instagram, kind of uplifting the other's content. I've enjoyed watching your candid journey that you've talked about with the folks online. And so I think one of the things that really stuck out was talking about our own respective identities and the ways that has played out from childhood, I would say, even from birth up until now as adults. And so I would love to hear how that has kind of manifested for you. I know you talk about your natural hair and how that ties back to your identity, but would you like to tell the folks a little bit about that? Yeah, yeah. I'm like, I'm sitting here like, dang, where do I even begin <laughs> with this question of my identity? Um, so I guess I'll just start by saying, you know, what I am, air quotes. Yeah. <laughs> for oh, those wow. listening, you can really ask question of like, so what yeah. are you? Why do you talk? Yeah. Like, oh, gosh, I, I know the vibes. I know the vibes. Yeah, seriously, especially living here in Miami, like people are often expect me to be like from the Dominican Republic or something like that. So when they ask where I'm from, and I say I'm from Mississippi, they're like, but where are your parents from? You know, we like always go down that long list mm -hmm. of questioning before we finally get to what they really want to know, which is what is my ethnicity? So my ethnicity, I grew up with black dad, white mom. My dad is ethnically Nigerian. My mom is ethnically French, um, but they're both very American, been in the U.S. for generations and generations. So I would say, you know, I'm just kind of your typical biracial um but obviously black passing so i i feel like i do you know i navigate the world obviously as a light-skinned woman with curly hair but definitely as a black woman amazing and so you've talked online about um your curly hair and how you've learned i i definitely know when i was growing up i consider myself monoracial but raised in a white household which we can get into a little bit later but i definitely know i i've had experiences with my hair being fried dyed and cut to the side you know burning my bangs i don't know if you remember in middle school when it was like the straight bangs with like the curly hair on the oh outside. my god yes like, that's a millennial <laughs> Like trend. I really thought that it was giving, but it, it was bad. I, I was frying my hair so straight. And so 
I know for me, when I went to college, that was really when I started to embrace my natural hair because I was away from home. I wasn't near my salon. And so what was that like tending to your natural hair, going to a PWI and kind of navigating that? That is such a good question. And you're so right. I also want to say, I can't believe that you're new to this because you are an amazing host. Like you, no. this podcast is definitely going to take off. You I appreciate are, that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so similarly to you, it was college where I started to embrace my natural hair. Um, growing up, I have a very strained relationship with my mom, unfortunately, and our my hair was a big point of contention between the two of us. My sister has kind of, you know, the classic hair you think of when you think of a mixed girl, like loose, silky curls, fairly easy to manage, whereas mine is a lot kinkier. It's more Afro textured. I got all kinds of different textures here, as you can see. That part. Um, and so I had a lot of negative beliefs about my hair that were imparted in me by my mother, who started relaxing it when I was two years old. Okay. So, yeah, so I, I had relaxed hair all through my adolescence and into college. And then when I did a summer program in college, I met another biracial girl who was like me in the sense that she was also black passing had big curly just beautiful stunning hair and it I looked at her and I was like wow it made me wonder like what does my hair even look like I don't even know what my natural hair actually looks like and so meeting her is what gave me the courage to find out and see for myself and so I did start transitioning in college at a PWI as a girl in Greek life, like white Greek life. <laughs> so that was really, I'm, I look back on it and I'm really proud of myself because of the amount of courage that I had to do something like that. And I remember when I started transitioning in 2016, I was like, oh, you know, by the time I have like big hair, I'll be 25, like basically dead by then. You know, it's like funny to look back at how I thought about <laughs> aging and like you know what youth was but anyway um I did while I was transitioning I just changed my hairstyle all the time like I rocked a TWA sometimes I had braids sometimes I had a sew-in I did all kinds of different things and I have to give my my PWI attendees credit I got a lot of positive feedback and love from people that I went to school with like people did not shame me or act weird like people would tell me all the time like wow you can pull off any kind of hairstyle you know, which was a really nice compliment. But one thing that I did, I still definitely had my insecurities, particularly because to my earlier point about Greek life, when I had a sew-in and I went to these frat parties, I could not keep men away from me, uh, like could not keep them away from me. And then when I was rocking my TWI, TWI, TWA, it was like, I was invisible to a lot of them, not everyone, but to a lot of them. Um, and so, you know, and I also even had someone from my my hometown comment on a photo of me with a sew-in, you should keep your hair like this. Oh my God. So there was definitely a lot of ignorance around as part of the journey as well. Um, but fortunately, the, you know, the love and support for me embracing my natural hair was far outweighed that's amazing. And so you had said in 2016 was when you were transitioning. Would you say that um, being online also helped? I know that that was like the peak of the YouTube era where girls would do like those beauty hauls and it'd be like, these are my products. And so 
I definitely know that when I was transitioning, I loved to watch those and run down to Target, save my money and get, you know, all of the Cantu and the Shea Butters. You know, no offense now, I don't necessarily use Cantu. Um, <laughs> but would you say that the online pre- that online visibility was also something that helped and that maybe oh you're pouring into that now? Yes, a thousand percent. In fact, I forgot about it until you said it, but I was obsessed with natural hair YouTube videos, like natural hair journey videos in particular. I probably watched hundreds of them and I actually made my own. I made like a one year journey um, on my own YouTube channel with the one and only YouTube video I've ever posted. But I was super inspired by what I saw from others. And I really wanted to share my story about being biracial having a white mom that did not like speak the self-love into me that I deserved. I want to be able to, you know, it's kind of a, first of all, it's kind of a niche experience, a little less so with like younger generations, but in our generation, you know, in the nineties, I was literally the only mixed girl I knew besides my sister. Um, So yeah, I wanted to just kind of put it out there. So that way the people who need to find it will. I think it's important with that representation, you know, again, I can't necessarily speak to the biracial experience, but I definitely know that there's a lot of internalized racism within the community of like, um, I don't have as quote unquote nice of hair as maybe my counterpart, you know, maybe as you say, you're black passing and I definitely understand what that is like. Um, but for folks who might not know is like, okay, you're more perceived as black, but then, you know, more mixed girls are more fetishized because they have the hair and Gosh, I know that's another conversation for another day, but is that something that you resonate with and something you want to talk about more openly on your platform? Yeah, absolutely. I I could write a book about the biracial experience and the fetishization and then also just the differences in the way people perceive you. Like, for example, my European friends in college, if I said I'm Black, they would often be like, you're mixed. Mm. And that was something that was fascinating to me was that like Europeans kind of saw me as my own unique race, Mm -hmm. whereas Americans really, you know, the one drop rule really, it still persists to this day. And it's, it's a pretty complicated topic because on the one hand, like, yes, I am perceived as black by your average person. Like, I think, you know, there's no mistaking my black ancestry. You might look at me and, and think maybe maybe she's mixed with something, but you absolutely know that there are some black somewhere in there. Um, so yeah, it was just, I, you know, being around different types of people, it made me understand that like not everybody perceives me the same way. Um, and regardless of how I'm perceived, you know, I was still raised by a white woman in a majority white town you know, away from my black family outside of my dad. So I don't, as much as I am black culturally, I kind of had to learn what that meant through the internet, like through social media, really, Um, you know, and also through experiencing racism, unfortunately. So that's why, you know, I've never necessarily felt disconnected from my heritage because I always understood that I was a black person, but it's so much more complicated than just what you look like and I typically identify as a black biracial because that's what I am and and people will get pissed off when I say that but it's you know yeah (laughs) your face like yeah why do you have why are you so concerned about how I identify but it I get it girl I get it because it's like you act like this you show up like this and it's like people people just aren't just leave me alone that's how I feel (laughs) just just let me live like I'm trying I'm trying to do what I can I'm trying to survive out here And so um, notwithstanding all of those things that I would say working against you, but maybe you've now seen um, empowers you, you've been wildly successful. So again, going to UPenn 
is a huge going to an Ivy League is a huge feat. And so um, upon graduation as a poli sci major, how did you transition into tech? Because I know a lot of poli sci majors may go into like law school, may go and work maybe on Capitol Hill. How did you um, make that transition straight out? Mm -hmm. of Great question. Um, and that wasn't always my plan. I did not. I, I was a poli sci major because I wanted to work in government or politics mm -hmm. to some degree. And that was what I was focusing on throughout my college career. So I did like political internships and I did a lot of just content about politics in a way, like not in like a content creator, the way we think of content creators now, but just on social media. I was someone who shared a lot about political issues and shared her opinions very frequently. And what changed it was my dream had always been to work for the CIA or the FBI, like some type of intelligence agency in the United States. Okay. And so when I was a sophomore, at the end of my sophomore year, I applied to the CIA to do an internship with them uh, the summer before my junior year or the summer before my senior year. You have to apply like very, very in yeah. advance because uh, of the background process and all of that. So I applied. I went through the interview process. It was months long. And unlike any kind of interview process I've ever had, there were all these like tests, like logic tests and writing tests and things of that nature. Um, I did a TikTok video about this. But ultimately, I went through the interview process, I got a conditional offer, which was super exciting and conditional meaning that I had to pass my a background check. Um, so I started that process, which was also very long and arduous, I guess you would say, like I went to the CIA headquarters, they visited Penn and talked to my professors, they, they went wow. to Sonic Drive-In in Mississippi, where I worked in high school <laughs> and talked to those people like it's extremely thorough process. Yeah. So after all of this, you know, a year of working towards it and feeling like it's going to happen, it's going to happen. Donald Trump was elected, instituting the institute the hiring freeze. Mm -hmm. And there goes my internship, literally one month before I was supposed to begin it. And this is the, the, the summer before my senior year, which is very important. And I think especially at a school like Penn, this is when people have these super impressive, bougie internships at consulting firms and investment firms. And I was supposed to work at the CIA and I ended up being a Hooters girl for the summer. I loved working at Hooters. I could definitely talk a lot more about that. That was like one of the best jobs I ever had, but because we had a good manager there, I think I feel like that's what's key at a, at a restaurant like that. Yeah. Um, and also being in Mississippi, like people are a little different. They're more polite and not so, right. but anyway. Um, so that said, when things fell through with the CIA, it, it just, I kind of, not necessarily an identity crisis, but I started thinking very critically about, is this really the right career path for me? Like I invest this much time and energy and it's just ripped out from under me out of nowhere. Um, and then also when I was at the headquarters, I just noticed too that, my personality is so different from which, you know, now you think about it, I'm like an influencer. So it's like, of course, I'm not going to be a good CIA agent. Like I love yep. to be open and honest. I'm not someone who is like, is one to keep to herself. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I just, it made me think about that. Like, is this really the right career path for me? And then I was like, well, what? what is the right career path for me? Um, and I really wasn't sure at that point at all. 
but I had done a lot of different HR internships, which I just kind of found myself in also not something that was necessarily intentional. It just kind of happened and I really enjoyed it. And so at that point I was just thinking very logically, like I have HR experience. I could get a job in tech, make good money and potentially try other things in whatever job it is. Um, So with that in mind, I started targeting rotational programs for within the HR field. And I got an offer for one in San Francisco when I graduated. So that is kind of what started my journey in tech. It was a bit haphazard, but now that it's, it's worked out that way, I know it was always the way it was supposed to. I'm really glad that I found myself, especially because like, did I really want to work for the CIA and Donald Trump's government? No. no. I was going to joke and say, damn, my life as a CIA, you know, agent, yeah. like, I don't necessarily know if they would like that, but. Right. You know, you know. know. And so on paper, you were grinding as a techie, you were in San Francisco, and then eventually decided to move to Miami. And so tell me a little bit about that transition, because I myself have not left the Bay Area, um, considering that I was born and raised here. People say I have Stockholm Syndrome. (laughs) It's okay. I understand that. But what was that leap of faith like going from San Francisco to Miami? Yeah, so that this was another thing that happened very fast. I just, I literally made the decision in December, 2021. And I moved into my, into my apartment in Miami or December, 2020. And I moved into my apartment, March, 2021. So literally three months later, I was here. Um, And for a while before I decided to move, I was kind of thinking about it, you know, pandemic, San Francisco, I mean, pandemic everywhere was very hard to live in and enjoy but pandemic san francisco in particular being so expensive i was spending a lot of money in a city where i was very locked down the majority of the time um which i you know i appreciate that about san francisco i and i'm glad that i lived in a place that actually took it seriously but when you think about the cost of living it was just a hard thing for me to really you know, I I just felt really conflicted. Like it just was one of those things where I was like, I don't, I don't know if it's worth it for me to live in a place where I can't like, you know, sit outside and dine and I'm paying this amount of money to live here. Um, So that was like a major thing for me. I just really started thinking about my quality of life. And then also in San Francisco, I had to have roommates because of the expense and I had to have multiple roommates. And I moved to that city without a community out there. So that meant that my roommates were frequently random people or people that I met around, not actually my friends. And so when you're trying to coordinate your living space with multiple different people who really and truly don't care about you that much, it can get so messy and complicated. Um, And so that was another thing that played into what I was thinking about, you know, my quality of life in San Francisco and how much it costs to live there for what I was really getting out of it. Um, So I finally, I couldn't, I knew that I didn't really want to be there anymore, but I didn't know where else I would want to be. So I just kind of put a pin in it and continued to live my life. And then I was scrolling on Instagram one day and I saw a photo of someone in Miami and I was like, what if I moved to Miami? Goodness. Had you ever been there? I had been one time and Uh right before the pandemic started, I had been for a few days and I really loved it when I was here. Um, so yeah, that was, that was really the catalyst where I I just kind of asked myself, like, what if I moved there? And then I realized like, I can, there's literally nothing that is stopping me. Cause I was, I was fortunate to work at a company at the time that allowed us to work from anywhere. 
So the deal was you could move and live and work anywhere. Um, there's a pay adjustment associated with it, but I was willing to accept that if, because of all the things I described earlier about the cost of living in San Francisco and just the quality of life that I had there. For me, it just kind of, you know, if I had a community in San Francisco, it would have been worth it because I absolutely loved the Bay Area. And if I had a community there, then it wouldn't have mattered as much that I couldn't like go sit outside and eat at a restaurant because I could kick it with my friends in a park or something. But I didn't have that. Um, so yeah, I just kind of, I kind of felt like I had no choice if I wanted to really be happy. Yeah. And so you've talked openly online kind of about that, um, about that transition and you've just been very open. So how would you describe your TikTok content? What would say, you know, is your niche or if you don't necessarily have a niche, are you your own brand? But like, let the people know. Yeah, good question. I would say I am my own brand. I feel like when I look at my content and just how I've always approached it, I've never been willing to niche down because there are so many things I like to do and talk about. And I'm just such a curious person. I don't want to limit myself to any particular niche. That said, I, I would say that my like soft niche, if you will, is storytelling. Uh, the majority of my content are stories. And those are also the videos that typically do the best in terms of performance. Um, so if I had to pick a niche, I would say that it is storytelling. But the way I see myself, yes, I am my own brand. That is what I want for myself. And it's 100% important. And so you've talked about navigating the workplace. Again, both of us respectively are only 26 years old and we haven't necessarily had, you know, the compass or anyone to look up to because, you know, we're, we definitely defied the odds. And so you talked openly about working in tech and some of the highs and the lows of what you've experienced in the workplace. And so how, what, what is that like? I would say, you know, what, what would you be comfortable talking about today um, with those story times of what you've experienced working in, you know, working in tech? Cause it's not easy. Yeah, totally. <laughs> you can say that again. Um, definitely have been some amazing highs. I've been fortunate to have some incredible mentors in my career who have taught me so much of what I know. Um, and also just kind of like parented me in a way, because as I described before, I don't have the best relationship with my mother. And so I've kind of often looked uh, to people in my life to be kind of a pseudo mom to me. And I found a lot of coworkers who naturally took on that role with me and helped me just become a corporate employee. Like I do not have a corporate personality. I don't want to have a corporate personality. And as much as that is refreshing to most people, it, it definitely creates problems for me <laughs> in terms of how I dress sometimes or how I communicate. Um, so when I think about the high points, I think about the people who took me under their wing and helped me kind of learn how I had to behave to be taken seriously. Um, and, you know, just considered like a career woman. Yeah. There, however, plenty of lows, though, you know, for every mentor I had and coworker who, you know, genuinely gave a damn about me. I also had a hater, a bully, uh, the bullying I've experienced in corporate America, unfortunately, in tech has been pretty next level. I've had some pretty next level experiences that really shocked me. It was not something that I ever the, the type of bullying I endured, I never imagined that that could happen in the workplace um, or that it could happen really at all as adults. You know, I think as a as a kid and an adolescent, I had this. Not feeling or th impression, I had this impression that once I became an adult, bullies wouldn't exist anymore and life would be easier. But it's it's literally the exact opposite. Like 
bullies get worse and the stakes are higher. And so the low points of my career have definitely been the times where, you know, I worked at a startup where I literally got fired because I reported my manager for bullying me. And that type, that experience is not uncommon. It's something that happens all the time. In fact, when it happened to me, I started doing research about it. And it turns out that retaliation by employers is extremely common, even though it's illegal. So I would say for me, the low point is just kind of my, my child glasses being ripped off of my face and me understanding, like, even though I'm a hard worker and very talented, it does not mean that I'm going to have a good experience in the workplace. Yeah. And so speaking up about it, that's super brave. First of all, like I give you your kudos because, you know, I know that you worked for a very name brand, a very in might've, you know, rhymed with interest, interesting <laughs> company. And the fact that, you know, you could be kind of blinded by all of the gifts and all of the shiny new things. And it's like, oh, you know, just wait it out. It'll be okay. And I definitely know that I've overstayed my time at a company when I know it wasn't good for my mental health. But you talked openly about it. And I saw that you were replying to comments on TikTok about it. And you had a community of folks, from my understanding, that backed you up in this decision. But what empowered you to speak up? Because that's not easy at all. Yeah, yeah, good. Uh, good question. I think, and a lot of people have commented on that with me, just about you know the bravery and the courage. Because I knew when I did this that I was risking my career in corporate America. I fully knew that I was taking a huge risk, and that there was a possibility that you know companies wouldn't be willing to hire me because I, I said it was Pinterest. You know, I said who my manager was because she was, she is, is, was, I don't know, because I have her blocked everywhere and I do not keep up with her, but she is slash was the CEO of her own coaching company, which is why I chose to speak publicly about what she did to me. Because from my perspective, you are a CEO, you're not a private citizen, like you are someone who is actively seeking to engage with women my age about their careers. And, you know, behind closed doors, you are stalking and harassing me, literally, Um, so that is, that's what inspired me to speak up is just that something like that can happen in the first place. I didn't understand it and it was hard for me to figure it out. And I, you know, I managed to get through it like just barely. Mm. And I'm somebody with a lot of grit and resources and determination. And so I thought to myself, like, you know, what about someone who, is not, who does not have the same strong personality that I do. Like some experiencing something like this could literally be the end of their life. And that, that's not, you know, from my, I was like, someone has to say something, someone has to do something. And I knew I, I have like unwavering belief in myself in terms of like, I said to myself, like, if my corporate career is over, then I will focus on my content. Like it won't be, you know, it won't be the end of the world. I will find something else. I will figure something else out. But this is this was so wrong what she did to me and I have a platform and it's important to me to use my platform to drive change where I can. Um, So that is why I ultimately decided to do it. I knew it was risky. I knew it would be controversial, but I I thought that I honestly have an obligation and a duty to do this because I know people will listen to me and someone else who does not have a platform and who does not have the same like incredibly successful track record, you know, the credibility that I have, it wouldn't work out as easily for them. And so I want it to be a voice for people who have endured it or are enduring it and could not stand up for themselves. 
That is amazing. And definitely know that I was there. I was rooting for you behind the screen. Like even before I made that introductory DM to you, I was like, dang, like she's really talking about this. Like, so kudos to you because you definitely are inspiring the people. And so that um, transition to my next question, now that both you and I, shocker, are almost 30, you know, we have a couple more years. Don't about say almost. Don't say almost. We got a whole college career we, before we get 30. Yes, exactly. Exactly. You know, now that we're a little more seasoned, you know, mid-career, you know, both of us are respective founders and leaning into our own niches. What would you tell your new college graduate self? Because I definitely know that I couldn't imagine I'm where being where I'm at today. And I'm, you know, can assume that you might not imagine where you are today. What would you tell her? Mm -hmm. I would tell her that it's going to be a bumpy ride. You know, even I kind of thought once I graduated college that like, you know, it's going to be smooth sailing from here. I've done the hardest work. And that was not true, um, especially, and I, you know, I, I'm curious how much you can relate to this, but I feel like your mid twenties are really a time of psychological puberty and where you really start to just grow up, like become truly an adult and not like a kid or a young adult, but an adult adult. Um, and the things I realized about certain relationships, some of my own habits and behaviors, um, you know, like we talked about before, I've been on this sobriety journey and that, you know, that started a couple months ago in my mid twenties, like after I realized certain things about my habits and my behaviors and just the impact that they were having on my lifestyle. So yeah, I would tell my, my 21 year old self, it's going to be a bumpy ride. There are going to be a lot of painful moments that you can't even imagine right now at 21, but you're going to come out of them. Like you have what it takes to come out of them um and it's a little scary too because I'm like dang is it just is it going to continue to get like this in life right. like, you know when I hit 30 am I going to be like oh my god mm. <laughs> it's, I'm so hard now it's a, it's a little bit scary uh but just reminding myself that like up to this point I have gotten over every mountain so and I will continue to do my best to do that Amen. There's there's the running joke. I've seen a meme online. It's not necessarily really religious, but it's like God picks his strongest soldiers. And I'm like, who 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 enlisted me? Take me off the <laughs> roster. I'm trying to chill this year. Like, what kind of how many more battles can I take? But of course, knowing that we have that strength within us, but sometimes I'm like, dang, is it gonna get worse? And both of us, you know, don't have children. I know that um we're both pet parents, but it's like dang imagine navigating this with kids and even in a relationship a like mortgage and you know to your point opal that is one reason i'm so it makes me almost want to change what i would say to my 21 year old self um it i'm so grateful that i'm taking the time in my early or in my mid-20s now i started my early 20s like my kind of healing journey at 23 when i realized i had anxious attachment and googled that and it just opened up this whole can of worms about my childhood, my relationship with my mom, like things that I did not, was only just beginning to understand. And that was three years ago at this point. And I've been diligently working on myself. And I think to myself all the time, I am so glad that I am not doing this at 40, divorced with two kids and a mortgage, you know, like that. I'm so glad that I'm doing the hard work now. Um, so maybe what I would say to my 21 year old self is like, I don't know if I, I it's, it's like, a, it's like, I'm getting very meta right now. Cause I'm like, I wouldn't have to tell her this cause she's doing it. But the point, <laughs> the point is just, you know, the importance of being willing to take a long, hard look at yourself mm -hmm. in your mid twenties and not telling yourself like, 
I'll get to it later mm-hmm. because later it's going to get really complicated when other people are involved and real shit like mortgages and you know health issues and stuff that crop up when you get older like the best time is now 100 percent that part it'll catch up to you I definitely know that and so navigating sobriety tell me a little bit if you will about um, how you came to to do that and again publicly even talking about that um, on your Instagram and TikTok and even here on the podcast yeah yeah so I did I decided to do sober October because I'd had like a uncomfortable relationship with my drinking for a while before then I didn't have I wasn't I say uncomfortable because I knew that it wasn't great, but it wasn't bad enough that I wanted to do anything about it. I was kind of in this gray area where I was like, you know, I think I kind of drink too much when I do drink. And I don't know if I want to drink this much, but I'm successful. Like, I don't, you know, it's not, I'm not losing jobs or going to jail. Like, it's very easy to kind of rationalize with yourself when you know you have a problem but you don't want to you're not ready to to be honest with yourself that you have a problem because of shame or stigma or what have you um and that was one of the reasons why I decided to talk openly about it when I did start exploring sobriety because of the shame associated with it the stigma and I know same thing I described with the situation with Pinterest like as someone who is successful physically attractive like perceived as popular because of my following and living in Miami I knew that if I were willing to talk about it if I were willing to be someone who says like you know I kind of have a drinking problem and I'm working on it I knew it would help other people they would make them feel like they kind of have permission to also examine or investigate their relationship with alcohol or other substances and so that said I did sober October it was really life-changing um because like three weeks into it literally repressed memories from my childhood came back and it was so this was like a whole psychological journey like I said I started this healing journey three years ago when I discovered I had or when I finally admitted to myself that I had anxious attachment and I feel like gaining access to my repressed memories was what I was searching for when I started my healing journey um and so when that happened and I then understood why I was a binge drinker and why I couldn't really control my relationship with alcohol. I realized it helped me forgive myself so much for all of the like things I've done that I'm not proud of or situations I've been in that I'm not proud of. Like, that's why I say it was life changing because it just, I, there was a piece of my life that was missing from my understanding and I found it. Um, And that is what inspired me to, you know, I kind of decided at that point, I'm going to give it up entirely, but I wasn't ready to commit to that for real yet. So I told myself, I'm going to do hundred days and see how I feel. And then my hundred day mark was January 9th. And at that point I already made it through Thanksgiving, Christmas, New York. So I was like, New York, New Year's. <laughs> um, so at that point I was like, you know, why go back? I have I made it through all these major milestones. I feel so much better I know why I drink. I also did enough research to learn that I actually have like, I have the genetic um, predisposition to alcoholism. And so I listened to the Huberman Lab podcast on um, alcohol and what it does to your body. And that's when I started to realize like, oh, wow, I have these symptoms of someone who has a genetic predisposition. And that's when I kind of accepted like, I'm not, I cannot have a good relationship with alcohol. Like I'm, I am literally not built for it. (laughs) 
And I just find it 10 times easier to abstain than I do to moderate once I've had one. Um, that's just the way my genetics work. Like once I've had one, I want 10 more and nothing can stop me. And it's just not, I don't want to live like that anymore. It was like really controlling me because if I had one drink suddenly, you know, and I wasn't, I wasn't like a crazy drunk or anything like that. Like I said, I wasn't someone who was like going to jail or things of that nature, but I was someone who would sometimes like black out and then black in. And she's in this situation that she doesn't want to be in at all and has no idea how she got there. Like, you know, it's you know, scary moments like that. I don't want to live like that anymore. Um, and that is why I decided to get sober and why I wanted to talk about it openly because I know I'm not the only one. Like our, our culture around drinking in the U.S., it's so normalized to drink so much. You can find yourself becoming an alcoholic when you don't even, you know, just by sheer nature of drinking a lot, when you don't even, you know, you don't even want to, but you're just doing it. It's like part of the whatever. So exactly. And I think that's shown up for me and tell me how you resonate with this um, navigating in the tech world, especially when we were in person being at in office events. It's like, okay, you know, I want to make sure I show my face at that happy hour. And so it's like, all right, let me have a few drinks to get a little bit comfortable so I can talk to people and again, it's not necessarily you. It's like this representation of like, okay, I already feel like I'm not fitting in. So like, what can I do to fit in more? Not that drinking will help, but like, that's a little yeah. bit of the justification. So curious if you resonate with that because woo-wee. 1000%. In fact, you know, I actually think what you said about, so you'll fit in more, you're right. Like if you choose, if you're willing to drink with other people, you do fit in better with them. Because if you don't drink, which I have experienced now that I am sober and still engaging, you know, still being social, still networking. I went to a networking happy hour recently where I was the only, or I don't know if I was the only new person, but it was with a small group of people, many of whom knew each other and had worked together. So I was kind of the newbie. I'm the youngest in the group, the only black person, you know, which is my experience often in these spaces I'm in youngest, only black one, only black woman in particular, um, and that was the closest I came to drinking again when the host of it was like, oh, order a drink. And I said, I don't drink on weeknights. Mm. And, and, and he accepted it and left it alone. But, you know, like being there with everybody drinking and honestly getting drunk, like that's something when you become sober, you realize about events that involve alcohol is like, even in professional settings, work settings, like people get drunk, people have like four or five drinks and it's, it's seen as totally normal. Um, so yeah, that was, like I said, it was the closest I came to accepting a drink because I wanted to fit in and I didn't, I didn't want my not drinking to become a topic of conversation, mm. but I stayed the course. I did not drink. And once, when I, as soon as I left, I felt, I was so happy. Like I felt so confident and good about myself, like the self-esteem boost that comes with sobriety is so much better than any drink you could have any drunk night out at least for me like I'm not judging people who still like alcohol and want to drink alcohol like that is you know it's your own choice I don't ever want to be one of those people who's like rah, rah. yeah um, just speaking honestly for myself my self-respect has improved dramatically since I cut alcohol out I, I get that. And even like navigating, you know, those growing pains as being someone in our mid 20s. Um, I too don't necessarily have the best relationship with my parents all the way. And so 
I think I also use drinking as a way to justify that of like, you know, helping get rid of those feelings. And it's really just running away from the things that are going to eventually catch up to me. And so I commend you as a person in their mid twenties, that's doing the work again. Thank goodness. We're not both 40 in some loveless marriage or divorce trying to figure this stuff out. Like we have the wisdom and and the knowledge to know the difference. And so I I commend you for that. And so what are you working on nowadays? I know um, you're, you're, are you still corporate facing? And I know that you're also working on some freelance things. So tell the people what, what, what you're doing. Yes. Um, So as I mentioned, I got fired at my last corporate job. Fortunately, I found a new one very shortly after that in a different field. I had been working in learning and development. I pivoted to sales enablement. So loving my new role, just learning so many new things. And it's a totally different environment, different personalities. I've really enjoyed just the intellectual challenge of being in a different part of the business after starting my career in HR and working there the whole time. Like now I'm in a sales role and it's completely different. Um, And then on, you know, a personal front, I have big entrepreneurial ambition and goals. And so I am, I In terms of what I'm working on now, what I'm working on now is getting my freelancing career started. I've taken, I have some clients and I've been promoting it very casually. Um, I actually don't feel like, I don't think I've even like promoted it in like weeks, uh, primarily because I've just been busy. I feel like I am still figuring out how to straddle working full time and being an entrepreneur. And then you also have this journey I've been on where I've yeah. been getting sober um, and not just from alcohol. I've been cutting out other different things like caffeine and Red Bull and vaping and all of these things. Like I, this last like year and a half, especially has just been dedicated to my self-care. Um, so I haven't been as active online as I have wanted to be. I haven't been as prolific of a creator as I was when I first moved to Miami. So I would say what I'm really working on now is just kind of getting back into my creative groove. Being a, oh, sorry, excuse me. Um, being a consistent poster. Again, I have not been consistent. <laughs> it's like kind of my weakness as a creator. Uh, but that's what's on my mind right now. I want to start posting consistently, diversifying, like get back into making YouTube videos, potentially also having a podcast. So if I if and when I do, 100% gonna have you I got you Will. Um, but you know you're so good at this I'm like I don't even want to make a podcast like I'll just attend Opal's because she you are a really really talented host and thank this has been so much fun no thank you so much and life as a dog mom I know you have your baby girl is her name it's Tina Tina, yeah. Yes, Tina, you have Miss Tina who rides in the front seat of your drop top Mustang. Like (laughs) you are, as you said earlier, you are your own brand girl. I know that you talk online about your fashion. Again, you talk about your hair. You just talk about, you know, the bold colors that you wear. And so I want to say just continue to show up authentically as yourself because it's going to draw the right people. Again, you and I have connected, again, just randomly. um, And so I'm super grateful for that. And so where can the people find you online? What are your social media handles and how can we support you? Yeah, yeah. I am Shell Barlow on all platforms. LinkedIn, Shelby Lynn Barlow. In terms of how you can support me, consume my content and give me feedback. Tell me, you know, tell me what you think. Engage. Tell me what you want to hear about. Um, Yeah. And also support all Black women. That's how you can support me. Support all Black women, other Black women, especially Dark-skinned Black women um, don't always, you know, it's, it is a lot easier when you're light-skinned and have curly hair. So I try to do what I can to elevate 
my sisters because they are my sisters and so if you want to support me support all black women period as the cheetah girl said we are sisters we stand (laughs) together yes and so is there anything else you want to add before we log off um just that i would love to come back this was so much fun um i will definitely be a listener a regular listener to your podcast i'm really glad we found each other that's like my favorite thing about being a content creator is finding other people who you know in some cases are also content creators like in your case um and who have something to say so i'm just glad that we crossed paths and I definitely want to stay in touch and just continue to shine together. Much love. I need to come out to Miami because I don't know if you've seen on the news. Right now it is freaking snowing here in the Bay Area. Girl, oh I, I don't oh, know a thing about snow We might change. not even see 30 cents. Like it's, it's 90 in Miami right now. I'm <laughs> jealous. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear you, you have I'm not complaining, but it's just out. alarming. <laughs> you have your shoulders up. Meanwhile, I have my sweater and my my little scarf. Yeah. So I definitely need to get out to Miami and tap in with you. But of course, thank you so much for showing love on the Story Noir podcast. And we'll talk to you all soon. Thank hey, thanks you. Thanks for having me.